Standing up on stage to make jokes is one of the scariest things many people can imagine doing. But facing up to your fears and making brave decisions is one of the hallmarks of Jarlath Regan's life and career, including the donation of one of his kidneys to his brother. On this week's Commit episode, I speak to the comedian and host of the hugely successful An Irishman Abroad podcast about following his passion, having the right mindset to succeed, and overcoming your fears. There's a massive buzz that uh, it's like an extreme sport in some ways that the uh, you you never overcome the fear of of stand up. There's all because you don't know if your jokes are going to work. You don't know if it's ever going to work. You don't know how, what could happen. So uniquely exposing in that like of a things thrown and people get on stage and uh, like it, you're also revealing yourself. It's not just I'm going to sing a song someone else wrote. This is my life. I think it's funny. You're going to laugh at it. Uh, that that level of exposure when it comes off, the, the high is ridiculous off it. It does feel like flying. And uh, you, uh, uh, your ego, the boost for your ego, there's just that sense that I went out there with nothing but my voice. You, you know, I do, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, about the type of person that chases that, why? And I don't think it is about, I like facing fear. I think it might have a maybe a smidgen of that that I do enjoy that buzz that comes off it. But like there is some element of enjoying performance and enjoying being up there. And like I don't when people say, oh, you must be so frightening to do that. I have a compulsion to it now. I'm on holidays in Ireland at the moment and I had to book in three shows because I was getting really antsy. I was really getting anxious. I need to do, I need to do, and you'll feel, you'll hear that from a lot of comics that you actually feel wrong. It's like someone who goes swimming in 40 foot. I need to get in for a swim. Otherwise I won't be balanced. I won't feel normal. The difficulty a lot of comics will have is with deferred gratification and long-term goals. Uh, Comics tend not to be planners. Uh, There is a body type, (laughs) you'll notice, among comics, because uh, nutrition is not a great aspect of it. You're eating very late and there's free pints every night. Um, The... uh, why do we see all these things in them? It takes a particular peculiar upbringing for you to go, I want to go in front of strangers every night and get them to like me or or like what I think is funny. And yeah, I think you do see addictive personalities because let's be clear, nobody's good straight away. Like nobody's good at the start. In fact, I believe you need some level of delusion (laughs) because if you knew how shit you were beginning, you'd quit immediately. But you need to believe some some notion in your head that you can be great. Have you gone through 
some of the struggles of comedians, such as the addictive side of it? Or have you been able to overcome that by having structure, control, long-term plans? No, I, I used to think I was different. I did. I used to think I'm not like other comics. And the more time that goes by, the more I realize I am 100% the archetype. I'm so stereotypically a comedian. I'm uncomfortable in public, in normal settings. I don't like being out. I, <laughs> if someone invites me for a cup of tea, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not happy and I struggle to plan long term. I, the world is a difficult place for me. I have very, very tough time. Like people don't buy this when I say it because they do. And I regard one of my biggest achievements in life being able to bluff and pull it off in some way that people don't think he hasn't got his shit together. That's that's the biggest achievement. That might make me different to other comics because some of them aren't good at pretending. I am very good at pretending <laughs> that I'm on top of my shit. So we're all just doing it to kind of do the best yeah. we can. But until you like get to hang out and meet these people that I'm talking about, like we are the weirdos. We are the fringe. We are the... If you look at the people that get on stage to accept uh, the comedy writing awards, I mean we're a particular type of odd character as I say that is drawn to this and in some ways it's why when you see another comic you gravitate towards them tell me this and how do you find uh, the podcast in the sense of because you're the presenter so you're having to pull yourself back really mm, try to get out of the way as much as possible yeah so yeah. it's a completely different kind of role to doing the comedy and you you know you're you still see yourself first and foremost as a comedian i would say that the the unifying skill is listening uh when you're on stage you're in a conversation it's not you rabbiting on you're you walk out to an applause there's something in that. You hear it. You've seen the show so far. You've witnessed the conversation. Now you've walked in. And when you offer something, the response is never the same. There's always something else contained in it. And when someone shouts out or you interact with them directly, or you talk to someone in the front row, you have to be so switched on to what they're saying to be able to respond in the best way possible. That a lot of the time, the reason why these podcasts by comedians have taken off, I believe, is because the skill of listening is so underrated nowadays that when you actually see it in action, uh, it makes for a great conversation. Very rarely will an interviewer actually listen to the response. They'll usually be thinking of their next question. Comics and podcasting kind of are a, a two planets that aligned perfectly because they listen in a unique way, can respond in a peculiar way, in a funny way, uh, and now in the format of podcasting have the time to do it. Time is the other key. You've got space. We can talk for, one of my mates has one that goes for three and a half hours, three and a half hour conversation. And you know what? You say that, it's riveting. It is riveting because when you talk to someone for that length of time, 
pretense has to go. After an hour, there's nowhere to hide. The truth comes out. They're really being real. It's like the Big Brother house on week four. <laughs> you got to come out and be who you are then. I want to take back to when you were a graphic designer. Um, and I suppose this is probably, probably most pertinent in terms of what McNulty Performance does when they talk to people about mindset and mission. How long were you working as a graphic designer? Well, my job wasn't graphic designer per se. My job was account exec. And that's important because you work with a designer and you take the design to the client and say, is this what you'd like? And then they go, no, that's not what we discussed. And then you go, okay. And you go back to the designer and go, he said he didn't like that. Can you do something else? And when you have ideas of your own and I did I probably was a, a frustrated designer so there's frustration in it right away that I was like I wanted to be an artist but I was essentially the middleman for the artist like it was never gonna work and how long were you doing it not long two two and a half years maybe tops and that's when your wife turned around to you and said... Well, I was doing stand-up. I was doing bits. Yeah. I, I, but had you ever seen that as a career? Uh, well... Was it a, No, was I hadn't deigned to think that could be me. Had you given because, yourself permission? Well, I, I guess I had a... I didn't... My vision for life was struggle. Because that's what we know from our folks. You struggle. Life isn't easy. You don't get to be happy. But yeah, but I read interviews where you talked about an extremely happy childhood. Very, very. And your happy. father was a horse trainer. Yeah, not no struggles per se. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go along with that because when you say horse trainer, people automatically go, "Oh, Henry Cecil, AP, uh, Aidan O'Brien, this guy's minted." You know, my dad was a struggling horse trainer, but he was happy. Though, who had you? great days at the Curra, loved his job committed to it in a way like you wouldn't believe there's no days off in sport and horse racing in particular but we didn't have tons of cash i remember thinking these horses had more shoes than me i remember watching a horse swimming in a pool i had never got to go in a pool the size this horse was in and i remember looking at this prick going look at this horse he doesn't even want to be in here why is this pool not being used by humans? It was down the road from my house. We had, to, not go, jump in we had to drive to Nace. No humans were allowed in. We had to go to Nace to go swimming or a thigh. I mean, I, do, I don't think that like I had a, 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 an unhappy childhood or I, I knew struggle, but I know that my parents and the 80s was a time when a job was a job, was a thing you did to afford free time. Whereas people didn't go, I want to do the thing I love for a living. I hadn't got that in my head. I didn't think it was available to me. I didn't think stand-up was, oh, you can do the thing you adore the most in this world. Unless unless you become a footballer. Like, you could be a footballer. But even they will complain about that all the time. Uh, so I hadn't, as you say, given myself permission to be happy. And I can remember the first time getting paid as a stand-up and walking down O'Connell Street with the money in my pocket and and being like, I have enough of my rent and stuff. And I was like, I 
I think it was partially a realization. Why not me? Why them and not me? I can remember saying it to myself. Why not me? Why, why someone else? And that was a really powerful thing that I used to write at the time down a lot. Was if you're listening to this and you're going, yeah, but you know, author is something someone else does. Why? What's different about them? Nothing. One of the pieces of advice recently given in the podcast was don't quit is a bad piece of advice in that you have to be ready to quit and continue looking. That like you can't quit completely, but you have to don't uh, keep on keeping on. Be ready to quit what isn't right. If I didn't quit my job, I, I, I'd I still be working in graphic design unhappy. Would you though? Because you were doing the comedy in the evening time so you were chipping no, away I would it. have killed myself I would have done I would have done something terrible like I would have I was heading down a really bad road you going, and, and yeah. your, your wife saw this happening yeah right? no I was utterly miserable utterly miserable and you know I definitely like you say well you would have found your way into something else probably would have been fired but then was on my road to get another job in graphic design because that's what I thought my parents would be proud of your parents want you to be happy. This is the thing that I feel like saying to loads of people that are held back by the notion that their parents would prefer them to have a job at Guinness's. Uh, uh, you know, I I just want to be able to go to the Christmas drinks and f- be able to say, I've my shit's together. They want a smile on your face. They may want security for you and safety, but they want, a smile. They want you to be happy. That's what I want for my son. I want him to feel happy. Uh, like knowing fulfillment is what you want for your kids. And that is what your parents want for you. People go, yeah, but you knew what your thing was. No, I really didn't. Like that's the truth of it. I don't know what I want. But you know you want to be on stage. But like that's it. not an end. That's not an end. That's that's like I want to be on the radio. Being on the radio isn't the, the end. What do you want to make? What do you want to do? What is it you want to create? What is the thing? What is the the uh, the vision of you know the product? Like the the actual being there isn't actually what it is. It's like I want to be in showbiz. That's the same kind of thing. And I I know that at the start it can feel like that's the end. But once you get there, you realize no. What do you got to say? You can be a stand up, Grant. You can just call yourself a stand up. Quit your job. You're stand up now. That's it. But what are you going to say? What are you going to do? Like, And I do think that that probably separates me from other comics in that some comics do just want, you, you, you know, just uh, the positive feedback again and again and again. Uh, but I, I do think that I didn't know what I wanted to do and I still kind of don't because I go from show to show going, that's what I wanted with that life experience was to create a show called Organ Freeman that raised it to owner awareness and got people talking and made them laugh and took them on this journey and created a kind of stand-up that was both emotional and funny all the way through. Uh, but now what? I mean, we're changing. Who we are is in a state of flux all the time. Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? Is never fixed. And 
I think that when someone goes, yeah, but you know, you knew you wanted to be a stand-up. I don't even know if I want to be a stand-up now. I mean, I, I'm, I, I haven't decided, and I don't think that you should go, I'm that. That's what I want. I think you need to go after things, pursue things with all your might, but be ready and open to change. You know, it's about the journey and it's also about recognizing that the the journey is not one road, but a bunch of different routes that you can potentially be on at the same time, weirdly. Make it more interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I really can think of it. Thank much. you so much for doing it. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. And if you want to harness your strengths, develop a growth mindset to become more resilient and succeed, just go to mcnultyperformance.com for more insights and information.